from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. The foods of the future. We head to the lab where students are taking some projects from idea to creation. What's the biggest weed problem on your farm? Been becoming more and more problematic over the years as the resistance has developed to it. How to fight back against your toughest weeds as we begin a new series called Weed Warriors. Plus the cotton market's wild ride. We're trading at record highs and now we're trading you know, essentially below where we were when COVID started. After a year of challenges, is there room for the market to move right now on Ag Day? Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. It's been a disastrous year for cotton producers here in the U.S. First, they were hit by drought, which cut production. Then they watched cotton prices implode. Ag Day's Michelle Rook joins us to see if there's any life support for the market. Clinton, the cotton market hit a two-year low on Monday, but it's had a sharp rally the rest of this week with limit-up closes Tuesday and Wednesday and a stronger day Thursday. So is the cotton market finally trying to bottom? I talked to market experts to find out. Cotton prices have dropped sharply the last few months, with December down nearly 50% from the contract highs. It's been caught in global recession and demand fears, especially in China, with their lockdowns and slowing economy. So cotton has been the doormat of the commodity complex. Cotton specifically, we, Michelle, we talked four months ago, we're trading at record highs, and now we're trading you know, essentially below where we were when COVID started. Payne says the cotton market is so export dependent and so talked this week that China may ease their zero tolerance policy on COVID could be the catalyst to finally bottom that market. There's a lot of moving parts, I think, to cotton in the short run here, but China reopening is one of the big keys to getting the merchandise trade moving again, um, as well as a lot of other factors when it comes to inflation. But uh, I think this is the main one. He says December 2022 cotton looks undervalued with drought-stricken production at a multi-year low of 13.8 million bales, which luckily farmers will collect crop insurance on. However, new crop contracts for 2023 need a correction or the market risks losing acres to other competing crops. I think you start to look at what is needed from, from, for price to incentivize producers in the United States to plant cotton on the margins. I mean, you're looking at 10 cents up. I would think 80 cents needs to be done with $6 corn. So Payne and other market analysts are hopeful the market is close to bottoming. Last I checked, the D-March spread was in an inverse. But I do think you know, just for no other reason, we could see this market rally a bit, uh, you know, here short term, if not intermediate term, on the strength of fundamentals. But it may depend on next Wednesday's WASDE report and what USDA does with demand projections. Speaking of demand, cotton exports were stronger this week at nearly 122,000 running bales. Most of the business was to China, but traders continue to be concerned about demand due to the stronger U.S. dollar to the yuan, lower crude oil prices, and the weaker stock market. All right, thanks, Michelle. Checking the latest drought monitor for the second straight week. Abnormal dryness and drought broke a record for much of the country. 62.7% of the country is in moderately dry to exceptionally dry condition. That's down only slightly from last week. Forecasters say warm and dry conditions dominated the northern plains and the upper Midwest, where some areas are experiencing flash drought conditions. After enjoying a few days of warmer temperatures, it looks like colder conditions are on the way for parts of the country. Ag Day affiliate WNDU meteorologist Chuck Heaver is in for the honeymooning Matt Urasavik with the latest. 
Well, a cold front is pushing across the country, and that's going to set up the stage for some high winds and some well-needed rain. The cold front pushes to the east just to the west of Chicago on Friday. You see the showers and thunderstorms, especially down to the south. With that, we have the potential for very high winds. These are future wind gusts that we expect through the area. You can see down here, anything in purple is 40 mile an hour or higher through the Great Lakes over near South Bend, Chicago. You're gonna get in on that action. Then things die down on the backside of the storm. The winds calm down. We get a layer of rain through the area. Here's a quick look at the U.S. drought monitor. Obviously, Southern Kansas and over in Central California, desperately in need. Yields in the Fields on Ag Day is brought to you by Micro Essentials from Mosaic, the science of more. Discover our proven products. Text YIELDS to 31313. Updating those yields in the fields, Jason Cloud of Union, Michigan is giving us a look at his harvest. He says the soybeans on his farm averaged 58 bushels to the acre, corn averaged 165 bushels, and he says almost all the coin moisture was around 16%. Jason says he's extremely blessed and is now helping other families get their crop in. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. A noted researcher on livestock sustainability in the U.S. is finding himself in the middle of a firestorm. The New York Times recently publishing an article about Dr. Frank Mintlerner. Now, he's a professor and air quality specialist with the University of California, Davis, and heads up the Clear Center at the university. Now, he takes his research and puts it to work on livestock farms. The Times reviewing internal university documents claiming that the Clear Center receives almost all of its funding from industry donations. It also claimed it worked with a major livestock lobby group on a messaging campaign. Mint Learners speaking this week with AgriTalk about the article saying they weren't able to dispute his research. Let's say I were to work on some pharmaceutical, uh, let's say a vaccine or something. Then who would I work with to get a vaccine or some other pharmaceutical developed? I would, of course, have to work with the pharmaceutical industry. That is what the public would expect. That is what would happen. But in the case of animal agriculture, if there's anything um, questioned related to animal agriculture, then, um, then people expect that magically funds occur and, and, and that researchers do the research uh, without even questioning uh, where, where funding comes from. The New York Times article acknowledges there's no indication Mintlerner or the Clear Center violated any disclosure agreements. Mintlerner telling the newspaper, quote, I cannot help the livestock sector reduce its environmental impact without working directly with its members, end quote. Ethanol plants and grain elevators in the Midwest are on the lookout for the fungus vomitoxin, now feed made from grain contaminated with Concentrated levels of the plant toxin can sicken livestock. It can also lead to low weight gain, particularly among hogs. Grain buyers can reject cargoes or find farmers for shipments that contain it. Now, USDA is reporting early signs of the toxin are emerging in Ohio. It's also reported grain buyers in eastern Indiana are also doing more testing on corn deliveries for vomitoxin. Now, the problem can emerge in those areas where wet weather leads the fungus to grow in corn ears where harvest is either slowed or delayed. Weed Warriors on Ag Day is brought to you by Fierce Herbicides. Find the right Fierce formulation for you at valent.com fierce. Always read and follow label instructions. Weed pressure is a problem every year for farmers, but in the dry areas of the Corn Belt this season, it was amplified. Now take Iowa. 
This season, agronomists and farmers agree the number one weed problem was water hemp. Now, water hemp is native to the Midwest. However, it has only developed into a serious problem in corn and soybeans in the last 15 years due to changes in production practices. It is now the most widespread herbicide-resistant weed in the state. And becoming more and more problematic over the years as the resistance has developed to it. Um, and so again, the, the main thing there is we need to get some uh, you know, pre-emergent residual activity herbicides out there so that way we just don't have the, the emergent flushes of that water hemp and then getting out there uh, with the correct modes of action to be able to really control those, those water hemp populations. Iowa State University research shows corn yield loss associated with late emerging water hemp has ranged between 5 and 20 percent depending on weed density. Cornell University research indicates yield losses in soybeans of up to 50 percent even after herbicide applications. Grain markets moving back down on Thursday. Michelle Rook joins us next with a look and analysis and later helping taste and test the food of the future in the country. The U.S. dollar soared and corn global supply concerns faded, putting pressure on grains. Michelle Rook is back with more on Markets Now. Well, in a day that was mostly lower in the grains, Don Rose, U.S. Commodities, is joining us. And Don, it looked like uh, the sharply higher dollar index and disappointing exports kind of combined to press the grains. Yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head there, Michelle, is it's all about the supply side is for the most part kind of known, although we're getting some private estimates with larger yield uh, estimates, but it's really about that is uh, kind of baked in the uh, market and it's the demand side that continues to be the anchor on rallies, Michelle. Yeah, poor weekly exports, especially on corn down like over 50%, and a lot of that's tied to the river yet, isn't it? Well, you know, some of it's the river, but some of it's we're just not competitive in the world market. Not only are we not competitive on corn, but we're also not competitive on wheat. We're only competitive on soybeans because the uh, South America had a drought last year, and they're basically, for the most part, running on empty from uh, their export potential. We also had some poor technical action in both corn and wheat here this week, right? You know, uh, Michelle, again, it's, it's kind of back to the top end of the range. Uh, we can't get the December corn over $7. Same thing for the last couple months, basically. Now, uh, technically turning the trends back to uh, some uh, negativeness, uh, back under 680 on D's corn. We'll see if this is a new leg to the downside or not. Same thing on soybeans. Big rally on January beans up to that tough resistance, 1450, 1460. Again, hook reversal, turn back lower. Bean oil's been the leader. Uh, double topped over there and uh, also uh, looks a little bit toppy. Yeah, I thought maybe the technological action was a little bit better in soybeans just because we were kind of above some key moving averages. But you think that market is breaking down too a little bit here, huh? Well, you know, I think it's hard for soybeans to go up and then corn and wheat go down. So right. I just think keeping the ratios in line, um, you know, the domestic demand, Michelle, you can't say enough about it. Very strong on soybeans, crush margins, three and a half, four dollars across the corn belt uh, profit. Uh, ethanol margins also, but not good enough, 45 uh, cents a gallon in Iowa, where we have 45 ethanol plants. So strong domestic demand, but it can't overcome the weak export demand. Okay, thanks for joining us. Don Rose with U.S. Commodities and more Ag Day coming up. Ag Day is brought to you by MetLife Investment Management's Agricultural Finance Group. 
MetLife Investment Management is positioned to help you grow your business with a competitive farm, ranch, and agribusiness loan. To learn more, visit investments.metlife.com backslash agriculture. Just Chuck Heaver joining us today to take a look at our national forecast. And we're starting with that cold front seems to be pushing its way across the country here. Yeah, the cold front's going to bring well-needed rain to the center part of the country. But the bigger story is actually going to be, all right, let's take a look at the jet stream. That's an indicator of where the storms are going to ride. And you can see the low pressure out to the west, and then we have the cold front. That slides through. After the cold front passes, we're in a more zonal flow. So we're going to see mild conditions across the country. And really not until late Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we have another buckle on the jet stream with low pressure out to the west. But the majority of the country still stays mild, really through the mid part and end of next week. Here's our look at future radar for Friday. You can see the cold front out to the west sliding its way to the east, and the storms firing up potentially severe down towards northern Texas. We'll keep our eye on that. That pushes through and the other big news with this storm is the wind. We are going to see winds howling and gusting potentially over 40 miles per hour in some locations. If you take a look at the wind gust forecast, this is Friday AM. Anything in red or higher purple is about 40 mile an hour. Again, these are gusts that pushes through the center part of the country riding along that front of boundary. Look at that Chicago South Bend getting in on that wind action as the day moves along on Saturday. That pushes out, things calm down, then we get back to normal, and again, mild conditions anticipated. Here's a look at the drought monitor. You can see, of course, southern Kansas and then out in the valley of California, we have severe or extreme drought. Hopefully, with that frontal boundary, we'll put a little bit of a dent in that. You can see the precipitation estimates here, potentially locally, three inches or more in some locations. Here's a look at the temperatures today, so high temperature around 70 in Chicago, cooler out to the west for the low temperatures, but overly for the entire country, it's really mild. These temperatures are above normal and that'll continue. Here's a look at Raleigh, North Carolina, high 76, 61. Sandpoint, Idaho, 43 and 34 for the low. And Independence, Kansas, thunderstorms breezy, high 71, low 40. save some money on feed and water when it comes to cattle, Kansas State veterinarian A.J. Tarpon is looking into how throwing some shade might be the answer. Heat stress is a big factor that cattle producers all over the state battle year in and year out during the summer months. We embarked on a two-year study to gather data on some of our mitigation and feeding strategies and trying to couple those two together to try to mitigate those stressors on our animals. We utilize sunshade and also limit feeding a highly digestible ration and coupling those two together to see what the impacts are on heat stress mitigation. What we found, great statistical analysis was done and we have very good results showing that shade by itself 
re, uh, increases average daily gain in feeder cattle at stocker age uh, size from 500 to 700 pounds during the summer months, increases average daily gain up to 7%. On top of that, it increases feed efficiency by up to four. Now, what that means is animals are utilizing more of the energy that we are delivering to them, making the entire system more sustainable. On top of the feed efficiency and uh, the average daily gain, we also looked at water. Whenever we utilize sunshade and limit feeding, we can reduce the daily needs of these growing animals by up to a gallon a day. Now, when we incorporate that uh, on a per animal basis on an entire cattle feeding operation, that could be thousands of dollars of savings just in the water savings. If you're contemplating utilizing shade or changing your feeding practices during the summer months to improve your efficiencies and well-being of the animals, keep in mind, not only are we improving performance, reducing the needs of all the inputs such as water and feed resources, but we're also increasing cattle comfort. During the study, we also measured panning scores, and panning scores are a way that we can measure uh, how much heat stress those animals are, are having. We drastically and statistically reduced the amount of panning scores, uh, which really shows us we have increased cattle comfort, increased cattle performance, increased uh, animals' ability to utilize the, uh, the nutrients that we're providing for them. Coming up, learning the science behind the food we eat from the ground up. How students at Purdue are helping identify the food of the future in the country. The NRCS Conservation Stewardship Program cost shares more than 150 practices on farms and ranches. Visit your local service center or farmers.gov today. Closed captioning on Ag Day is brought to you by BASF. BASF, helping you do the biggest jobs on earth. wonder what it takes to bring new foods to market? It often starts in a lab. Farm Journal Stein Morgan shows us what students at Purdue University are exploring when it comes to the food we eat now and in the future. Step inside this lab at Purdue University and you'll find a food science pilot plant opening the door for new products by uncovering the science behind the textures and tastes. Any kind of pilot trials will help to accomplish they establish parameters for production. So we do lots of trials using this space and lots of different kinds of processing. This pilot plant has been a staple of Purdue Food Science for years, but the Food Entrepreneurship and Manufacturing Institute, or FIMI, is new. We already have a lot of entrepreneur interest and small business interest, as well as some historic large business partnerships that the university has maintained, but we're really after expanding the grower segment to give them the opportunities to launch their value-added products as well. With more than 20 students working with FIMI today, they take a basic recipe from a client and do everything from generating a base recipe to even doing sensory tests. They are measuring color or something like water activity or pH. We have a range of specifications, both quality and safety-wise, that will ensure that as the product is scaled, they will have a consistent, safe product for their potential customers. This lab will upscale food products derived from common commodities like corn and soybeans to the more rare commodities like chickpeas, pistachios, or even hemp. 
It's not just the taste and texture Femi continues to uncover. Students and faculty are even exploring the food quality and food safety side of the upscale equation. I'm learning as well right along with them uh, to understand some of the mechanisms required and some of the questions that need to be asked to make sure that as your product scales from something that you may make in your home space to something that would happen in an industrial environment. From a sensory lab to other hands-on training, these Purdue food science students are getting a taste for the obstacles and opportunities of taking a food from ideation to creation. All right, thanks, Time. And that's all the time we have this morning. Sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day.